You're listening to a sermon preached at Sojourn East. The great theologian Augustine of Hippo once said that in the Old Testament, the new is concealed. In the new, the old is revealed. When we think of the messianic prophecies from this perspective, we see that the Old Testament whispers to us about the coming of the Messiah. Join us during our Advent sermon series titled Rumors of the Messiah, where we confirm the whispered prophecies of the Old Testament that told of the birth, suffering, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Hey, good morning. So glad to see you all here. You know, I, uh, I grew up in a small conservative town in central Illinois where the center of the town physically and economically and culturally was a, a very conservative free Methodist college called Greenville College. And there were other important churches in town, the, the Presbyterian Church, the United Methodist Church, the Christian Church, a very churchy town. And so I grew up with the sound of bells a lot, particularly a, a carillon, which is a, a bell tower, um, originally were bells that are played by pulling ropes or or keys, and then they kind of developed electronic versions of them, and that's what I think probably the most of the churches in the college in my town had, these carillons, and those go way back in history. And I would, so I grew up, you know, I didn't think much of it at the time, hearing bells so much when I was growing up, but I bet some of you did as well, and I know there are certain places in Louisville where that's still the case, like at noon, you might hear hymns played over, over bells or uh, chiming the hour as well. Well, I grew up in the Presbyterian church there, and I also had a brief stint in what was called the handbell choir. Anybody of you play handbells? Anybody know what that is? Okay, it's a pretty cool thing. It's probably mostly lost now, but you have all these different bells lined up on a table and you're responsible for two or three or four of them and you're playing in rhythm and playing. It's really neat. Now, I was a horrible kid and I am sure that the handbell choir director fell on his knees in rejoicing the day that I quit because I was just not a good kid at all. Um, but I, I was thinking about that as well in handbell choir. And I was thinking about bells a lot because a couple of weeks ago, I was reading an Advent devotional book and somebody talked in that, and one of the little chapters in there was about ringing the Salvation Army bells, which is something we did with our kids when they were younger quite a few times. And it's a good thing to do. And all of that over the last several weeks just had me thinking a lot about bells and especially how much at this Christmas time we talk and sing about bells. I like never, dawned on me, silver bells, jingle bells, jingle bell rock, carol of the bells. I heard the bells on Christmas day, ding dong, merrily on high in heaven, the bells are ringing. When we sing about desire for a white Christmas, which we did not have, which I was actually fine. I was very happy with 70 degrees yesterday. But nonetheless, we hear, we talk about listening for sleigh bells ringing. And so being the kind of weird, curious person that I am, that my wife could testify, I, a couple weeks ago, took a deep dive into the history of bells, which is called campanology, in case you're interested. And it is, it is actually a very fascinating thing. And particularly, I was asking myself, what, what is it about bells and this season that we're just kind of, we've ended with Advent and now in, in this Christmas season, what is it? And the, and the short answer to that is, 
that bells have actually been a very, very important part of human history for millennia. We have evidence of bells in very ancient Chinese civilizations, and definitely from the Middle Ages on in Europe, bells were a very significant part of society in a way that we never think of. They, were, they would call people to church and call people to meals and call people to public meetings. And in fact, in, in the Middle Ages and into uh, later European history, the, the technology of how to make bells and how to ring them became a big, uh, big topic. And there were, it was a full-time job in, in most towns to be a bell ringer. And in later kind of Victorian era, there was even this development of like groups that were into bell ringing, like as a, as like a social activity. <laughs> and so it was like a super hipster thing to do. You can imagine on Bardstown Road or something, there'd be all these like bell ringing societies, like guys with big, long Victorian beards and, and getting into ringing bells. And of course, then you think about American history and our Liberty Bell in Philadelphia. And then when you kind of dig into bells more, you realize they've been a very important part of religion. Church, churches have almost always had bell towers. And even to this day, because of the heritage of Christianity in Britain, there's almost no single person in the entirety of Great Britain that doesn't live within earshot of some church bell. That's how many church bells there are even today in the United Kingdom. And in the Russian Orthodox Church, bells are very, very important for various reasons. In the Old Testament, we don't have a lot of bells, but except for that the high priest would wear bells when he would go into the Holy of Holies. But again, all that kind of bell history is almost completely lost on us now, even though we still sing about it in all these songs. And, and it just had me wondering, what is this all about? Well, for the last four weeks, we have been in this season of preparation this that we call Advent, where we're waiting for what we did yesterday, Christmas Day, and where the bells of Christmas rang. And now we're in actually the official season of Christmas. I know for us that we feel like Christmas is kind of over, but technically in the Christian calendar, yesterday was the beginning of the Christmas season that runs for the 12 days of Christmas. And this is the time that Christians have historically celebrated that, that something now has happened, that God has entered the world, and that is what Christmas is about. So today, I thought what we do for this little shorter service here on December 26th is I would just like to, to go back to the familiar Christmas stories, particularly from Luke 1 and 2, and I want to think about them by kind of intersecting them with bells and thinking about how bells have been used by humans throughout society and help us see how the Christmas story actually can be seen in a very beautiful way through that. So if you have a Bible, you might want to look with me in, in Luke chapters 1 and 2. If not, we'll put the verses on the screen as well, or there's a pew Bible there. But we're just going to look, going to briefly look at the Christmas story again because Christmas isn't over, even though your house looks like the aftermath probably of it. Christmas isn't over. It's really the beginning. And I want to think about the, the use of how bells can help us see this Christmas season again. So here's the first thing that we use bells for that I think helps us understand what's going on at Christmas. First, bells are used to indicate time. Bells tell us what time it is. Again, clock towers have always been a very important use of bells. Most people do not have watches or clocks, and so bells are how you knew what time it is. When we look 
back at the Christmas story, what's one of the really interesting things in Luke 1 and 2 is that there's a lot of discussion of time, that there is something happening, that a time is being indicated. We're told that John the Baptist's miraculous conception occurs during the time of King Herod and during the time of Zechariah and his appointed service in the temple. We're told that six months into Elizabeth's pregnancy, that these amazing events happen. The angel Gabriel comes and announces to the Virgin Mary that in nine months' time, she will give birth to the Son of God. And then we're told at the beginning of chapter two, the very specific time in which Jesus was born in the days of the Roman emperor Caesar Augustus, right? And among other things that happen, there's actually something else that happens that we often forget about the Christmas story. And that is that eight days after Jesus' birth, we meet two elderly people, Simeon and Anna. And I want us to look for a moment at what happens with them. Look at Luke. uh, I think we're in chapter uh, two, verse 25. It says, now there was a man in Jerusalem called Simeon who was righteous and devout, and he was waiting for the consolation of Israel and the Holy Spirit was on him. And it would be revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not die before he had seen the Lord's Messiah. And moved by the Spirit, he went into the temple courts. And when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him what the custom of the law required, Simeon took him in his arms and praised God, saying, Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, you may now dismiss your servant in peace. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the sight of all nations, a light for revelation of the Gentiles and the glory of your people Israel. And then skipping ahead to verse 36. There was also a prophet, a prophetess, Anna, the daughter of Penuel of the tribe of Asher. She was very old. She had lived with her husband seven years after her marriage and, there, and then was a widow until she was 84. She never left the temple but worshiped day and night, fasting and praying. Coming up to them at that very moment, she gave thanks to God and spoke about the child to all who were looking forward to the redemption of Jerusalem." So those, those stories of Simeon and Anna, they're part of the Christmas story, but they're really easy to forget, but they're very powerful because you have these two old saints, faithful, devout people that have been waiting for decades to see this moment that now had come, that God would finally, in his perfect timing, show up and send his son. And the point of all of this, and especially that emphasis for Simeon and Anna, is that Jesus is coming into the world as not just another cycle of Christmas or just another cycle of, of human life. It is really, it represents the single greatest shift in human history, in human time. It marks a new time when God actually became flesh. It marks a new time when God, a new kind of relationship that God can have with humanity. This initial moment of Christmas is not, again, just some part of the cycle of the human world or the biological world or the the physical world. It is a new time. This is a time that marks a change that has reverberated out through these last 2,000 years down to Louisville, Kentucky on this day. And so that's the first thing to think about as we think about the of bells indicating time and just how significant the Christmas story is as a shift in time. But here's a second use of bells. 
bells warn us of something approaching. One of the important uses of bells in human society, which I had never thought of, is to warn of something approaching, some especially dangerous thing, something that threatens to up, uh, to cause upheaval, whether it's soldiers or a tornado. Now we use a siren for that or a fire. In my research onto bells, <laughs> I finally figured out what sleigh bells are for. They were largely, largely used to warn people on the road, especially in dark winter, that a sleigh was approaching because it's very difficult to stop horses, uh, anything with skis on snow and ice. My personal theory on why grandma got run over by a reindeer is that one, either Santa failed to use appropriate sleigh bells, which is worthy of a liability lawsuit, and or that grandma's diminished hearing meant she did not hear the warning bells. Either way, this has actually been one of the main uses of bells to warn that some change is coming. And so too, we see when we look back at Luke 1, we see this very unexpected theme and something you're not going to see on Christmas cards. You're not going to see these verses we're going to look at here very often, but basically a big part of the Christmas story is that something disruptive is about to happen. It is a warning. Look at what Mary says in Luke 1, starting in verse 50. So Mary, the mother of Jesus, is filled with the Spirit, and she sings or prophesies these words about her son. She says, His mercy, speaking of God, His mercy extends to those who fear Him from generation to generation. He has performed mighty deeds with His arm. He has scattered those who are proud in their inmost thoughts. He has brought down rulers from their thrones, but has lifted up the humble. He has filled the hungry with good things, but He has sent the rich away empty. He has helped his servant Israel, remembering us to, remembering to be merciful to Abraham and his descendants forever, just as he promised our ancestors. Friends, the bells of Christmas, the Christmas story, are telling us that God is actually upending the world and its systems through the birth of Jesus. And this is a warning for us to realign our lives and our hearts and our habits with the ways of God, with the kingdom of God. Because the, to the extent in which we will align ourselves with God's coming kingdom, we will find life. The most important thing about the Bible is that it reveals to us who God really is, what he's like, what he values, what he loves. And what we see in Mary's song is that we are told very clearly that what God loves and what God values in us as his creatures, almost above everything else, is humility. And what God opposes and overturns is our pride, our pride in both our thoughts and our deeds. Now, God is very merciful. That's the whole point of this true, these true stories is that God is showing mercy to us by entering the world in Jesus, but he will never encourage or allow our foolish pride to go unchecked. Our arrogance, our independence of him, our looking down on others, he is deeply opposed to these things. And Mary's song, did you see those words? Says the, the coming of Jesus into the world is God turning things upside down. 
sending the rich away empty and exalting the humble. God is opposed to our pride and our arrogance in systems and in our individual hearts. And the implication of that, friends, is very clear. This is a very important part of the Christmas message that we need to humble ourselves before God and find his mercy. You know, one of the things about Christmas that I'm sure all of you experience to some degree, I know I do, and we, had, we have and had wonderful Christmases, but I'm aware of regrets. Things, you know, most of our kids are, are mostly grown now, but just seeing things I've, I did wrong, mistakes I made, regrets, wounds that I've given my children that they're bearing the, the burden of, wounds that you've caused. I can imagine yesterday some, some tensions surfaced. The proper response to that, the beautiful response to that is humility because God is opposed to the proud but gives grace to the humble. That is a beautiful word. God's opposed to the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. And Mary's song warns us that that is true. But it doesn't have to be a warning to us if we will repent and be humble toward God. Here's the third thing that I think bells help us think about. Bells are a celebration of joy. Bells celebrate joy. They, are, they do warn us, but even more importantly, they are a celebration of joy. You think of wedding bells when the happy couple comes out of the church with rice or birdseed cheers filling the air. Bells would announce the birth of a king. Bells have been used at wartime victory in the celebration of end of strife where some of my kids have gone to school at Portland Christian. The seniors ring a bell uh, when they're graduating. Bells are things of celebration. And if there's anything that can be said about the story of Jesus' birth, it is a celebration of joy. I mean, I, I hope you had a good day celebrating Christmas. Again, our family certainly did good foods. I finally did steaks on the Komodo Joe well enough. Um, games, presents, personal and joke gifts, meaningful, thoughtful presents to each other. <clears throat> some relational strife moments, of course, some sadness. My wife and I both kind of uh, went to bed <clears throat> feeling, even though it was a wonderful day, some some of just the sadness that all good things must come to an end, right? In our family, we often talk about December 26th and what a, what a depressing day it is, all the anticipation and how it's over. But even though our lives are always gonna be marked by that kind of tinge of brokenness, Christmas is built for joy. And that's what bells are, why bells are rung. Listen to the tone of joy that's in the Christmas story. These familiar words again from Luke chapter two, starting in verse eight. And there were shepherds, <clears throat> excuse me, living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them and the glory of the Lord shone around them and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, do not be afraid. For I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today, in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He's the Messiah, the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in claws and lying in a manger. And suddenly, a great company of the heavenly host appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest heaven and on earth peace to, whom, to those on whom his favor rests. 
This is the joyful message of Christmas, that a new time has dawned in Jesus that is the most joyous news possible. We can actually have the favor of God resting upon us. This morning, friends, whatever else is burdening you, maybe it's wayward children, maybe it's financial worries, health concerns, generalized anxiety, these are all real things. There is a deep resonating bell of joy underneath it all that the God who created you is all-powerful and he demonstrates that power and that care and that love and that he came into flesh and dwelt among us. He felt the pain that you and I feel. He felt the loss that you and I feel. He felt the limits that you and I feel because he really became a man. This is the profound, joyful message of Christianity. Unlike all other religions in the world that offer you self-help plans or, or some other kind of duties to do, the heart of Christianity is that God became a human so that when you look at the re- with sobriety and reality at the brokenness of your life, the things that have been done to you and the things you've done, there is joy at the bottom of it all because God himself knows who you are and became a human. That, that profound truth is shocking And when you lean into that and embrace that as this fundamental reality of who you are and who you can become, this is the source of constant joy, even through a veil of tears. And this leads to our fourth kind of bell idea, and that is that bells are a call to come. Bells are a call to come. In addition to telling time and warning and celebrating Bells have long been used to summon people, to call people to gather at the center of the town to hear news. Earlier this year, I was in San Antonio out on a ranch for some stuff, and there was, I'm sure some of you see, there's literally a bell that they rang every time it was time for a meal. It was a summon to come to the barbecue dinner. Taco Bell. I don't know if you've thought about this. I'm not sh- I wasn't sure whether to put this in the warning or the summoning, but either way, <clears throat> that is the idea. So I'm sorry, I've screwed up the rest of your day because all day you're going to be driving around thinking about all the bells you see and all the things we use. But either way, this, this is what bells are used for. They're an invitation to come. They're say, listen, wake up. Stop what you're doing in your normal life and listen. And this is what happened to the shepherds. Look at Luke 2 once more. When the angels had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. So they hurried off and they found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the manger. And when they had seen him, they spread the word concerning what had been told them about this child. And all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds had said to them. Whenever you and I 
experience something amazing, the natural response, you cannot help it, is to tell others about it. The experience or whether it was a great Christmas present you got or a great vacation spot or a mind-blowing concert or show or the new Spider-Man movie or a new Netflix show. The natural human thing when we see something wonderful and experience something wonderful is to tell others about it, to, to say, come, you need to come and see this as well. And this is what the shepherds are doing here. They knew that something real and life-changing had happened on Christmas night. And so, like a bell calling people to gather and listen, they went everywhere spreading the message of Jesus. And this reminds me of what happens about 30 years later at the beginning of the Gospel of John when this Christ child is now uh, an adult who is calling people to come and follow him. In John chapter one, we see this constant language of come, come and see, this constant summoning. John the Baptist sees Jesus walking. He says, look, behold, the the lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And then Andrew, one of the first disciples meets, when he meets Jesus, he says, where are you staying? And Jesus says, come, come and see. And so he begins to follow him. And then Andrew went and found his brother Simon, later called Peter, and said, come, come and see and follow him as well. Then then Jesus ran into Philip and Philip started following Jesus. And then Philip went and found his friend Nathaniel and did the same thing. And he said, come, come and see to invite him to go and meet Jesus. I've been a Christian for over 30 years since I first heard that summons. And I'm standing here today to say the same thing to you, whether this is your first time in church, maybe you've been dragged here because you were in town visiting relatives and they made you come. Maybe you've been coming to church since you were a kid and and you don't know if you believe anymore. Maybe you're here with joy. No matter where you are today, this is the invitation from Jesus. This is the bell that's ringing The invitation I'm extending to you through Jesus today is to open your eyes and see that something happened in history at Christmas. Something happened when Jesus called disciples to follow him. And something has happened when millions and millions and hundreds of millions of people throughout the history of the last 2,000 years have tasted and seen who God is. And I can testify to you today through all the ups and downs of my own life, sufferings, joys, regrets, mistakes, stupid stuff I've said and done, wrongs that have been done to me, wrongs that I have done. I've continually found life and forgiveness and renewal and peace and hope and guidance and consolation only through looking to Jesus, to coming to him. As the angel said to the shepherds, I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today in the town of David, a savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord, and on earth peace to those on whom his favor rests. God is now dwelling with humanity, veiled in flesh, the Godhead see, hail the incarnate deity. Whatever else you're hoping in, 
whatever else today you're giving your life to, they will prove disappointing and not worthy of your loyalty and love. So to conclude today, you know, there are lots of other creative connections we could make, illustrations and analogies we could draw. Jesus as the liberty bell that was broken that might free freedom to the world. You, you name it. We could come up with all kinds of interesting analogies. But what I want to leave you with today is an invitation to use this next week as we come up to a new year, to use this Christmas tide, this 10, 12 days to slow down, pay attention, be attentive, open your ears to who God is for us in Christ. Because the next time we gather together, we will have marked a major time shift, the beginning of a new calendar year. I invite you to use this week to pay attention to what's going on in your life and heart that you might see the beauty of God for us in Christ. Now, we love to end our services on this celebratory note. And so if you are a Christian and you want to partake with us and you have this, well, I'll lead you through this celebration of the table together. As we think about taking of the table of the Lord together for the last time in 2021, a, a weird and confusing year after a, a weird and confusing 2020, we're reminded that the Christmas story is just the beginning. This story has a climactic moment where on the night in which Jesus was betrayed, he took bread and he broke it and said, this is my body, the real body that was born that we're celebrating on Christmas Day. And he said, take and eat of this in remembrance of me. I'm Kevin Jameson, lead pastor at Sojourn East. Thanks for listening. For more sermons, info about our church, and ways you can support the ministry of Sojourn East, visit sojournchurch.com slash east.